Well, welcome to uh, Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. I'm uh, Jim Grant, and with me today is, uh, let's see, uh, we got uh, the great Evan Lorenz, uh, Deputy Editor of Grant's. We have Phil Grant, who runs... Uh, as a kind of a, kind of a separate profit center around here, something called it Almost Daily Grants, which is the must-read uh, daily delectation about the financial markets. And uh, to my immediate left is Eric Whitehead, who is uh, on the dials and controls. And uh, and with us especially today, uh, a special guest, is um, is Mark Spiegel, who is the, uh, the managing member of Stanfield Capital. So, Mark, welcome to you. Thank you. It's great to be here. And as I said earlier, Jim, I'm a huge fan of yours. I've been reading you since the Barron's days, even before I worked on Wall Street. Oh, my so goodness. Well, thank you, Mark. Hey, we're also, we have, uh, you know, this is uh, this is capitalism. We got a couple of sponsors. We have ZipRecruiter and we have eFinancial Careers, which is kind of like Macy's and Gimbel's, but we'll uh, sing the praises of both presently. But uh, first and foremost, uh, Mark, welcome to uh, the Grants Podcast, and tell us a little bit about your M.O. Phil is a big fan of yours on Twitter, and uh, he quotes you as saying, uh, quote, I buy deep value and short bubbles, and I don't do it quietly. Now, that is a great line, but is it, I don't know, is it, is it like a moneymaker these days or what? I mean, the shorting of the well, bubble stuff. So and... the, <laughs> the fund is really almost like two funds in one, and it's one of the reasons we're so small, but it's just the way I want to do things. On the long side, we are deep value, micro cap and nano cap companies, companies with high gross margins, great balance sheets that I can buy it at a small fraction of revenue, typically. And by the way, haven't found a new, well, I found very few of new ones to buy recently. But at, at any rate, that's how the, the fund has made money on the long side. I opened the fund in, in June 2011. And on the short side, it's been macro and bubble stocks, you know, many of the usual suspects. And that's lost us money. So overall, to, to answer your question in this long-winded manner, since inception in 2011, we're up a tiny bit over 11% compounded annually, despite having huge short positions. Wow. You know, to put that in perspective, uh, the Russell 2000, which is our microcap benchmark, we've exactly matched that. And the S&P compounded with dividends is slightly over 13% annually in that time. So we've come pretty close to the S&P with a lot of big shorts, which have given me the confidence to, to put on those long positions. Uh, Mark, your Twitter fans know a little bit about uh, the names that uh, are in your portfolio. And there's one that I recognize this name from other contexts. It's, I think it's an aspiration car maker called Tesla. Now, could you could you tell us a little bit about in the remaining two hours? Can you give us a, a <laughs> an overview of your love affair with Tesla? Overview uh, of your love affair in reverse with Tesla. So I can give you three sort of bullet points as to why I'm short Tesla, and then. We can go as deeply into the weeds as you like or, or don't like. Number one, Tesla has no moat of any kind. It has absolutely nothing meaningfully or sustainably proprietary. Number two, it loses a huge and increasing amount of money despite relatively light competition, but will soon be confronted with massive competition in every aspect of its business. And number three, Elon Musk is an extremely untrustworthy stock promoter who, as far as I know, has actually never run a consistently profitable company. I mean, even SpaceX, they used to say on the website, was profitable. And the Wall Street Journal had an expose on it last year that that, that was losing money and they had to change the website. 
website. So those are the three bullet points right there. So so this this particular um, annoying equity was up like, what, 46% last year in the face of earnings miss, in the face of all manner of disappointments, in the face of a, a yawning gap between promise and delivery between, I don't know, what is going on? And whom do we well, see to, uh, to, to fix yeah, that's this? That's a great question. Yeah. It's really the cult of, of Elon Musk, and, and that cult is, I think, gradually being chipped away. The, you know, the cult defined as his credibility. I mean, look, as, as you may know or, or probably do know, when, when you're short something and you're short it in size, you do your homework and you keep doing your homework and you keep saying to yourself, what am I missing? What am I missing? And I've spoken with or engaged with or seen speak pretty much every long holder of note of this stock. And universally, they have no facts to work with. They avoid facts. They, they avoid all the stuff I'm talking about. And they just say, well, Elon is great. You know, he's going to do it. So it, it's a religion for those guys. But, but here's the thing. This is a religion. Well, <laughs> actually, like many religions, but this is a religion that takes $5 billion a year in fresh capital injections, you know, just to keep the lights on. So it's one thing for a guy to say, oh, you know, Elon is God and, and I'm going to own his stock. It's another thing to keep dipping into your pocket for the guy. And that's another reason why I'm comfortable being short this. I mean, if everything I knew and yet the company was sort of breaking even, I'd be like, you know, screw it. It's not worth sticking around for this. But the fact that I know it's burning so much cash, I know it's got to come to an end at, at some point, and I'm ready to, to stick it out as I have. How long have you been sticking? Well, so I put on a, a tiny position of this thing when it was in the high 90s. And that became uh, a big around, position. I think around four <laughs> years ago. But I mean tiny. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I, I run a concentrated fund, and this was that was less than 1% of AUM. It's the smallest position I've ever put on in any But I got much, much bigger a few years ago when it was north of 250. And I've been very big since then. It, it actually it actually dove down into the sort of the mid 100s in the fall of 16 and then just came roaring back all through last year. So, yeah, so my basis on this thing is probably blended in, you know, probably low 200s, something like that. I mean, I've had to cover some on the way up and then I've put more on as the fund got a little bigger and and I got more confident. So it's been a trip. But the, here's the thing. Time is not on Tesla's side because the competition gets closer and closer and closer. And, and the company itself is showing negative scale, meaning it's losing more money the more cars it produces. So, you know, those lines are about to cross. It's not as if things are getting any better for Tesla. They're only getting worse. Hey, I'm intrigued by the, uh, the idea of nano cap stocks as opposed to mere micro. If you would please define nano cap and tell us just, for example, one such company. Okay, well, uh, I guess there's no strict definition of nano cap, although typically it's companies with market cap of under $100 million. Here's what I look for in those companies. My number one metric is enterprise value to revenue, okay? And then I look at everything after that, and I look to buy companies at less than one times annual gross profit. And ideally, because these companies are never making much net profit, but ideally they're breaking even or maybe only losing a little bit of money and have you know good clean balance sheets that can sustain them for a long time. The reason for this is at some point, some bigger company is going to come along 
and buy them just to pick up the revenue if they can buy revenue cheaply enough. Even a good gain for me on these companies would be a sale at one times revenue, which is dirt cheap in this market. And, you know, then they'll be acquired and a bunch of people in the C-suite and the auditors and all that stuff will be eliminated. And all of a sudden, you know, it goes from break even to making some money and and it's a good acquisition for somebody. So (laughs) normally in a normal market, I can find, you know, four or five of these things, six of them a year to add to the portfolio. I've only added one new name in in over a year. I mean, we own a couple of legacy names. One of them recently got bought. I'm I'm hesitant to to talk specific names because these companies are kind of illiquid. But, you know, I can tell you one that we just added. The ticker is AVNW. And what they do is they make microwave towers for telecom backhaul. A company's called Aviat Network. And, you know, we just bought it really cheaply. I mean, let me put it this way. It's it's selling it around, um, like, on an EV basis, probably 15% of revenue, something like that. It has 30% gross margins, and it's actually generating a little bit of cash. So, you know, it's the kind of thing somebody will buy it. They have hundreds of millions of dollars of NOLs. They have 30 million of net cash. And, you know, so I'll sit on these companies. Sometimes they pick up in a few months, and sometimes it takes a few years. There's one that just got sold I had owned for four years. Uh, uh, Ticker was MGCD, MGC Diagnostics. But it turned out to be a great IRR because I had added to it on the way down and and it paid a couple of special dividends. So the disadvantage of this strategy is that it doesn't scale. So my fund is very small and, you know, I'm going to cap. And one of the reasons it's very small is I'm capping it at $50 million. And the reason I'm capping it at $50 million is that, you know, if I want to own 10 or 12 of these companies and own 10% of each company, and the company has an average market cap of, let's say, $40 million, you know, there's, there it is right there. So my ideal company is a company that if I showed this to sort of a brilliant, famous value investor, I don't know, a David Einhorn, of whom I'm a big fan or somebody like that, I'd be like, David, you got to look at this. He'd be like, Mark, to me, that's a no brainer, except I can't touch it because I'm running, you know, $8 billion or whatever. Those are the companies I look for. As I said, unfortunately, that strategy doesn't scale. But you know what? I have low expenses here. I outsource administration. I outsource audit. I outsource legal. It's a comfortable living and, and it's a low pressure living because it is such an inefficient market down there. You know, I, my worst nightmare would be someone handed me $5 billion and I had to figure out how to put it to work. You know what? I, that's, that's, that's my nightmare too. God, I, you know, so <laughs> it, Evan, what were you going to ask, Mark? Mark, you, you said it's very difficult to find kind of good small companies right now. And one thing that um, we've noticed in this recovery is there's just been very little new business formation, especially new public companies uh, coming to the market. When you say that you can't find new companies, is it that you can't find new companies at the right value or just there's not as many of these little kind of, you know, entrepreneurs coming to the market and innovating uh, and creating new products that people want to buy from And them. the answer to that, I think, is first of all, when companies come to the market, when they IPO, they're typically premium priced. I mean, pretty rare you see a a stock IPO at a, at, a, at a deep value kind of valuation. So that, that happens in month own. three. What's that? That happens in month, month three. three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I actually, I actually had one of those. I, I think Blue Apron took four months. Yeah, we all, we all have. And, don't, and, don't worry about it, Mark. It just happens to the best of us. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I, I mean the other way. Oh. I mean, I bought it after it collapsed. Yeah. No, I, I never do IPOs. It's just like, I just don't do them. So, but it's pretty rare. And so, t- I, you know, I basically have fallen angels that have been around a long time. But that said, 
you know, the ones that were good, you know, have increasingly gone private. And there haven't been a lot of new ones going public in the last few years, you know, in which they would have time to fall. And then by now, maybe I, I maybe I'd be buying a, you know, a 2012 IPO today because it fell, but there just aren't a lot of them. I guess, I guess some of that was, you know, tighter SEC rules. And there was just, I guess, so much money in, in private equity and venture capital that a lot of companies never had a chance to get public. Well, Mark, I, I predict there's going to be a whole uh, lot to do with uh, some of the fallen crypto angels. You can uh, get into those a little later. And now a word from one of our two uh, two sponsors, two sponsors today. It is uh, it is a bull market. Uh, eFinancial Careers is the world's leading financial services career website. Uh, discover career-changing opportunities across the industry from leading brands to niche firms. Why not take the hard work out of job hunting? Register today to uh, let recruiters find you. You can uh, create a profile that recruiters easily match you to their open roles, save jobs, create alerts to stay in Informed of the latest opportunities, upload your resume and cover letter to quickly apply to jobs. So check out the site, efinancialcareers.com. That's efinancialcareers.com. I wanted to ask you about one of your longs, which is the uh, PowerShares DB Agriculture ETF, which sounds like a, a La Nina play to me. But tell us why you're interested in agricultural commodities. So, you know, I, I never had any interest in agricultural commodities before. And in December, just last month, I started looking around and, and said to myself, okay, what is the, the cheapest thing out there that's, that's not a buggy whip and is not um, cyclical from the demand side? And I zeroed in on agricultural commodities. And this ETF, the ticker is DBA, which, you know, I think it's the Deutsche Bank Agricultural something it stands for because it's based on one of their indices. I just remembered it doing business as. <laughs> the, the, that aggregates, I think, 10 or 11 of these ag commodities. You know, it's basically, collectively, this index is back to where it traded in around 2003. Well, you know, we've had a decent amount of inflation since then, and every other asset class in the world has soared. And I just kind of thought, you know, maybe this is something that is bottomed out, especially because the biggest issue has been oversupply from easy credit going to farmers. And yet those guys are full up on credit and, in fact, are having trouble, you know, paying the debt and, and are starting to default, which is going to contract supply. So um, so that's that's what it is. It's basically... I took a shot at, at the cheapest asset I could find, and I'm hoping that, that it bottomed out. And look, if it hadn't bottomed out and it goes a little lower, that's okay, too. Maybe I'll add to it because the population is growing, and that means intrinsic demand for food is growing. And uh, a word, a most grateful word to uh, our sponsor, Zip Recruiter. Uh, you know, a fresh new year has begun. And if you're setting new goals for your business, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to reach them without the right people on your team. And Zip Recruiter has transformed how you go about finding those people. So Zip Recruiter posts your job to over 100 of the web's leading job boards with just one click. And then ZipRecruiter actively recruits for the most qualified candidates and invites them to apply. They even review every application to identify the top candidates so you never miss a great match. So no wonder 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. So to find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners, our listeners, can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. And one more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash grant. Thank you, ZipRecruiter. Mark, what is the trend with farmer delinquencies? Are, are farmers going um, bankrupt faster or uh, paying loans slower? Well, I think it's both. I mean, there was a big article actually 
and, and I don't have the specific statistics, but there was like a full page article in the journal, I think one day last week about how hard it's been for farmers who, who had a load up on debt, not only because they aggressively wanted to expand, but with prices so low, they've had a load up on debt just to keep the lights on. And, you know, unfortunately for those guys, because, you know, we need farmers and these are hardworking guys who have no interest in the, the nonsense that goes on, on on Wall Street. These guys are starting to default. And I think we're going to see a reduction uh, in supply because of it. OK, I'm, I'm starting to get the picture, Mark. This is this sounds like kind of an eccentric strategy, but here it is. It's, it's, tell me if I'm wrong about this. All right. So the idea is to buy things that are cheap and to sell things <laughs> that are rich. Is that overanalyzing yeah, I, it? I, I, Actually, it's good you picked that up. <laughs> it's good you picked up on, on that. I thought I invented Nothing it. Nothing gets past us here. No, I know. Sell high. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't sound like a moneymaker, but who knows? This is a new year and uh, anything is possible. So Mark, Mark, thank you for being with us. Uh, Mark. Uh, uh, Spiegel is the um, is the managing member of uh, Stefan Phil Capital, which I gather, Mark, that the uh, the name Stefan Phil is the is the hyphenate of your parents' names. Is that it's exactly what it is? Yeah, yes. Stanley and, and Phyllis, I, I put them together, and and you know I, I I owe a lot to both of them. So I figured, what the heck? Here's my tribute. Well, Mark Spiegel, I think that is a lovely thing, and I think that uh, that uh, you have on your side, if not an investment strategy, because this buy low sell high thing may or may not work out, but I think you certainly. <laughs> You certainly have karma on your side, and you have our gratitude for being with us today. So thank you, Mark Spiegel. Thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to continuing to, to read your work, Jim. Appreciate and thank you, Mark Spiegel. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Until the next time, this is uh, Jim Grant for Grant's Interest Rate Observer of the Air. 